Hello everyone, if anyone has joined us. Um, welcome. Welcome back, because we, we did this a year ago. When was the last quiz? The last quiz was in, in the summer. I was still working, so it was before June. I think it was in June. So, you know, back then, when we all thought it was for Christmas. Remember those Sarah's days? watching. Oh, we Sarah. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Sarah. And presumably Barnaby. <laughs> Although maybe he refuses to watch us, I don't. I don't blame him. I mean, after that that embarrassing two minutes at the beginning, mm, it was shocking. Uh, that this is why I'm not technical director. <laughs> Do we have a tech person? I suppose our tech person is me. The tech person. I mean, our main tech person is the sun. Well, yes. Provides all of but... our light. Very unreliable, I find. <laughs> Praise Ra. If I could get a different sun, I'd be much happier with it. A... Yeah. It's go. not even really the sun that's the problem, it's the, it's the clouds and the rain. Well, yeah. Okay, well, a lot of things outside the sun's control. Yeah, yeah. He shines through. Praise, up, praise Ra. Maybe she shines through. Yeah, she shines through. She shines through on the she short. What? Just, video's just getting better and better, isn't it? Yeah, it is. This is all <laughs> keeper. We're this so is glad gold. that you're here to join us. So you're going to say, well, we're... Yeah, so uh, welcome to the first and the only so far live uh, recording of Exit Pursued by Bard, the Canterbury Shakespeare Festival video slash podcast series. I'm Elliot, the Artistic Director. I'm Charlotte, the Managing Director. Of the Canterbury Shakespeare Festival. And we're going to talk a little bit about kind of us and the festival and who we are and how we got involved. Why we're still here. Get you super hyped for our upcoming summer, which is yet to be confirmed. Yep, and the uh, rest of the videos that we have coming out, I've already recorded a bunch of them with various, with all of the directors for the last, well, what would have been last year's season, um, and as well as we've got a couple of other people uh, lined up. We've got Gareth, our set designer, Kieran, one of our writers. Uh, you probably know who Kieran is at this point. Yeah, you might have seen his work. He did Magna Carta, he did Iago, he did Thatcher. And, uh, and Catriona, the costume designer who did designs for Julius Caesar and Merchant of Venice, among other things, in second and third year, and has recently gone on to make the costumes for Bridgerton on Netflix, which is... I can't express how like pleased I am for her. Yeah, her costumes for Julius Caesar are so fabulous. Still Nothing on Bridgerton, though. I suppose they have a higher budget. Yeah, but I mean, there was more sequins in Bridgerton. I mean, I've not seen it, but I, I'm going to go, I'm going to say there are far more sequins in the Bridgerton costumes than there were in the Julius Caesar ones. Yeah, Katrina took me out of that, unfortunately. Oh, Julius Caesar in full sequined gown. I loved it. It was going to look like a flipping Elton John show. It's going to look like Behind the Candelabra. It was, which, great film, if you haven't seen it. Um, we won't be doing a stadium. We won't be doing Shakespeare's Behind the Candelabra anytime Couldn't soon. Couldn't get the rights for a start. Exactly. Um, so we'll start with uh, if, if uh, say hello in the comments. Please do engage with us. Otherwise, we're just sort of shouting meaninglessly into the void. Um, and if you have any questions that you'd like to know about the behind the scenes running of the Shakespeare Festival, uh, then please do ask us. Please let us know in the comments. Or yeah, and if there's anything we say and you want more elaboration, please do. Just say, and we will do our best to oblige, unless it's officially secret. See, this just reminds me of teaching. Yeah. Like, if you have any questions, do ask. Please. No, no one asks. No one ever No asks. one asks until like two weeks after you've taught the topic, and then they ask questions, and you think, okay. We'll think, well, we should have done that when we were doing the live video. <laughs> so, uh, I'm going to ask the first question to Charlotte, which is, what do you do for the festival? Define what managing director is. What don't I do? Uh, managing director really is uh, organisation, really. Everything. Chairs, venues, getting people to places, and places to people if all goes wrong. Uh, you know, liaising with directors. A lot of running about. It's a lot of running about, but also trying to find uh, suitable venues for uh, all our things, like our shows, our socials. Uh, socials are no longer my uh my my job which I, they're not in your remit not in my remit anymore love it uh and this year chairs won't be either because covid so that's one thing no covid uh, covid means no chairs no chairs bring your own chairs byoc just always bring your own chairs because it just makes it easier for me i hate carrying chairs the worst part of the job 
so yeah it's all just making sure everything happens and the shows can go on um, and that we can get the audience there um, putting out marketing um, like they, more, more things like run around like put the flyers out and getting the lovely marketing that Antonia and Jim do yeah. and kind of distributing it getting amongst it, Canterbury getting it printed I mean I spend very little time inside the house uh, in the summer. In the summer. I'm mainly just out and about generally doing things or in my car. I spend most time in my car running around. Uh, so that's my job. Uh, what, would, what do you do for festival? Compared to that, not a lot. Don't, uh, don't. You run the newsletter. I run the newsletter. As artistic, direct, as artistic director, <laughs> I'm in charge of sort of ensuring that the directors direct and produce shows up to a certain quality, uh, which is... Most of the time, really easy, because everyone in the festival is really good. So I don't actually have to do that much. I can just take credit for it all, which is superb. Um, but and then outside of my stuff, as I, and also I'm kind of the voice of putting together a season. Obviously, everybody contributes, but it's kind of my bag, I suppose, it being artistic. Um, but apart from that, I also do, I do the newsletter, which... Some of you may get, if you don't get the newsletter, go onto our website, put your email in the box, and I'll uh, blow you a kiss from a distance, because, from a social distance. Yeah. And then I also do the finances, because I am a fun-loving guy. <laughs> QuickBooks is my friend. Yeah, yeah well, someone's got to do finances. And... Someone's got to do the finances, and seeing as you do everything else, I thought I would do the finances. Yeah. Um, as seeing as you've been furloughed for a year, yeah, well, and I have not. <laughs> That's why you're in charge of the finances. Uh, yeah, that does help. Uh, what a year to learn the finances, though, know, eh? We've basically really. had no money come in or out of the, the account. It worked. It was all fine. And now I know exactly how how to do it all. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Okay, okay so when did you join us? Uh, okay, what year is it now? 2021. Okay, but how many years ago did it start? It started in 20. Fifteen? I think so. Well, that's when I joined from the beginning. Remember the first show? Uh, Midsummer Night's Dream. Well, that wasn't the first show that, that season because Romeo and Juliet came before, right? Yeah, Romeo and Juliet was the week before. Uh, but yeah, it's a Midsummer Night's Dream member coming up on Facebook. I was like, oh, go audition for that. Uh, so yeah, that was uh, from, right from the very beginning. And that was a fun show. Midsummer was a wonderful show. Uh, to be part of oh the very first midsummer yeah that was a lot of a lot of fun uh including i remember the, the dog that used to come on stage oh yeah came to we, we used to rehearse on elliot footpath uh, on the university grounds and um this also where we performed uh and it's a nice open space but it did mean that we would get the dog walkers and there was one particular dog who loved it who loved the show uh, especially loved that Oberon had a giant stick <laughs> um, and that the stage was ringed with giant sticks yeah. and did try to take one or the, maybe... the, big, the biggest one and it just ran around it was having a great time and that was in the middle of a show thankfully it was when Oberon says his line about um, controlling the beasts yeah but it really what. undercut his whole thing about how yeah. he could control the beasts because he really obviously could not because this dog uh, could not could not be controlled and we were right it was 2015 I, did, I counted backwards yeah 2015 so, so, yeah. That was your first. I, yeah, it's the same. I, I joined in 2015 when the festival started. I remember Ben Chamberlain, who was the original... Uh, he, well, he didn't call himself artistic director. Was he creative director? Well, yes. Ben, who was the founder of the festival and the creator of the whole ethos and festival in itself, uh, he put out a call for directors. And I... Uh, for, for Midsummer, I think it was specifically. It was Midsummer. Um, and I put myself forward because I'd just done Much Ado with T24 Drama Society, which is the University of Kent's Drama Society. Dad just says Big Stick. Big Stick, love it. It was a big stick. It was re I mean, it's, but I think it's, it's there. Actually, you can it's actually, actually see it. It's that stick. It's that stick there. Yeah, that's the Oberon stick. We don't throw anything away. You never know when you're going to need it for no, another. This cat was also in Midsummer, uh, kicked him off stage. Oh yeah, Felina. And, and yeah, and it, so I, and I applied. I had a, I had a. Why did you apply? I applied because Charlotte told me to. I, I told him to. And she never lets me live that down. No, because I am the reason for your success. So but also welcome. the reason for a lot of other things. <laughs> um, yeah, and so we we joined 
I directed Midsummer. I had a bit part in Romeo and Juliet. I played Lord Montague. Yeah, Lord yeah. Montague. It was it was Romeo's dad. He has like a scene at the beginning, a scene at the end, and I didn't turn up for the rest of the play. It was great. I read so much in the tent backstage. Uh, which was great fun. Um, if anyone wasn't there or isn't aware, we when we did the original auditions for the original season of Canterbury Shakespeare Festival, we had enough people audition to cover just the cast of Midsummer, mm-hmm. and so it was. And you still had to be in Midsummer. And I st- yeah, and I still had to be in it okay. for a long time. Uh, the character of Starveling, who's one of the mechanicals, was played by a bin. I thought that bin did a great job. It probably did a better job than I did, <laughs> and it was. I would situate it where I wanted it for the blocking of the scene and read in the lines from off stage. And then after about like three weeks of this one actor not coming to any of the rehearsals, I thought, do you know what? I'll just play Starveling. Yeah. Um, you did a fabulous job. The the bin was better. Uh, I was, Ironically, I was <laughs> the one more, who was rubbish. Yeah, I had more stage presence. That was a terrible pun. Yeah, I know. I was going to just let that slide. I had to cover it. Had to cover it. But then, so Romeo and Juliet, we we had to. Ben hired a hall in the University of Kent, and we filled it with friends of Ben, Phil. Um, it's how people like Kieran got involved in the festival. Everybody that anybody who owed anybody a favour was brought in, and we rehearsed <laughs> it in a week. Um, and actually, it went really well. I thought I thought it was a really good show. Um, yeah. I couldn't see it because the one night I was going to go was a thunderstorm night. Yes, and then the first night was we were all um, nervous, shall we say, because we were a little bit under rehearsed. But the gods smiled upon us, and we the very first night, the very first show of the Canterbury Shakespeare Festival got stormed off. But we meant we could rehearse another for another six hours inside in one of the halls. I forget mm-hmm. where, uh, and we got the show up up to a, a decent standard. Uh, so, yeah, that's how we kind of joined. And, then, and we, then we never left. We never left. I've ended up directing every single year except... It would have Well, except what should have been last year. And you've been in a sh- at least one show... Every year. Every year, and directed one. Was, yeah, last year. Mm, come on. Two years ago. And I was... Uh... And she was production manager for many, many shows. For two, two shows. Yes. Mary Wise Windsor last year. I was co-director and uh, production manager for uh, Anthony and Cleopatra and unofficial production manager for Julius Caesar. But you never gave me the credit for it. Yeah, well then, if I, g- if I gave you the credit, then you wouldn't be able to hold this over me. Um, so I, like I was just thinking of you, really. What does... What does why not keep the bin in the actual play? I mean, could have. So that a lot of people said afterwards that we should have done. Um, <laughs> so mean. Oh, you did a good job. Yeah. Oh, and we also we had to cut the or trim the play in a way that uh, Puck could play one of the mechanicals, which actually it, I was really proud of. Yeah, it worked, really, it worked well. really well. Because there's a monologue he does where he says. Um, I will spy or perhaps be a participant and too. Be, a, be an actor too. Be an actor too. And that's quite near the end. But I moved that speech to the beginning of the first mechanical scene. And then uh, Puck played Snout, I think. Whoever plays the wall. Yeah. He played the wall for the whole. And it was actually, the, it worked really well. The play within the play was so funny. So yeah. funny. We had a great bunch of actors playing the mechanicals and a bin. Yeah. Exhibited by a bin. <laughs> The bin's never going to go. The, the bin is now going to become a thing. I'm, oh. I'm going to regret ever telling anyone about yeah. the bin. Next question. Next question. So why did we join? Something to do, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's well, a great answer to that question. Um, no, because I remember coming off uh, Much Do, um, and I only got really got back into acting that year, and uh, just that, like it would be fun being doing Shakespeare in the open air. Um, there was no shit, no summer festival shows or anything like that um it fills you summer there was nothing for us to do because because this was at a point where i was no longer going home in the summer holidays yeah. like going back to my parents in the summer holidays not because i hate them or anything i love them very much but just because i made a home in canterbury yeah exactly right? I made a home in canterbury but there wasn't anything to do so the idea of doing a shakespeare play which is incredibly intensive or can be 
uh, fit in really nicely with kind of what we were doing. And plus, we both wanted to do more theatre. I wanted to direct more. Charlotte wanted to act more. And it kind of just fit, I suppose. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. It is, I can imagine summers without festival. Even last year. Didn't, didn't really feel... Didn't feel... It felt just endless weirdness. Didn't... It felt odd not having anything. But I do miss theatre. Yeah. It was a lot of fun to do. Definitely. And I'm looking forward to putting something on this summer. Next year. I'm going to then... do so many shows. I'm going to just always have a show on. If I can get it, there will be a show on. If Ooh. I can get a cast together, that's just it. have no life now apart from theatre. I miss it so much. Yeah. Yeah, so, so, so do I. I, I, I don't really have anything to add to that. So yeah. shall we move on? Sure. Uh, why is Shakespeare important? Or rather, why do you think Shakespeare's important? I think Shakespeare's important. Um, what does he mean to you? Well, Shakespeare is always about, for me, it's about character. Even Because a lot of the plots are stupid. And I think I proved this quite scientifically when I tried to get people to tell them it's a neighbour's plot and a Shakespeare plot. And people very rarely can do that. Because um, the plot's kind of a bit dumb sometimes. But you don't love... let the writers of Neighbours hear you say that. Uh, okay, well, we're going to talk about some of the Neighbours plot lines we've been putting out lately. We'll see. Um, but it's always about character and about people and these people who are very real. Um, and also, I just like tearing down this illusion that Shakespeare is like for the highly educated like it's a snobbery like it's not for normal people you have to have like seven degrees to understand it which i think is like this big thing that people feel because i remember learning shakespeare at school we're learning Anthony cleopatra and i didn't understand a word of it and that's because every other joke's a dick joke and they didn't point it out won't tell you that at school kids, tell you that every almost other joke. all of shakespeare is some kind of sex joke we've got a serious question now to read it out uh, as a lot of Shakespeare groups are known for interpretive or experimental versions of the originals, what's the most out there idea you've done or wish you could do? Oh, you should take this with your with... Tempest. Well, the, the, the one I really want to do, if I had all the money in the world, uh, because it would, and we wouldn't be able to do it outside, it'd have to be in a theatre, um, is I want to do the Tempest as if it was an episode of 60s Star Trek. It looks so good. It would look, like in my head. It's amazing. Like you have the opening scene of the Tempest. You have the bridge of the not Enterprise because legally we wouldn't be able to use any of the Star Trek. Don't know. Maybe we could. But talk everyone, to the Star Trek yeah, people. Everyone would be wearing brightly coloured uniforms. Not probably not. Well, maybe we'll colour them differently. The guy who's playing the king would very much be acting like William Shatner. Um, we'd have lots of exploding consoles and people throwing themselves around. And then we land, uh, and then the rest of the play happens on an, on an alien planet. Basically, Forbidden Planet. If you've seen the movie Forbidden Planet, which is just The Tempest in Space mm. with uh, Leslie Nielsen, which is a, it's a great film, but I would like to do the actual, use the actual text of Shakespeare and do it on stage, because then you could go real weird with the, you know, the rocks and the, the colours of... You know, you could have a real weird colour scheme in Caliban... You could go really over the top with what Caliban is because he's an alien in in this production. As is Ariel, who's more like there's a lot of in Star Trek. There's a lot of aliens that don't necessarily have physical form, and which you could do with Ariel. And then Miranda would be effectively Data. She would be a robot that Prospero has created because otherwise, where the hell has he got her from? Basically, Seven of Nine. Yes, but not like Borg. But not Borg. Yeah, more more like Data. Really, he's okay. he's he's created a robot that just looks exactly like a human, um, or maybe not exactly, but enough like a human that Ferdinand can fall in love with her, and it's not weird. But if I had all the money in the world, or, or at least enough money to put that <laughs> on, and it wouldn't look crap, that is my dream. <laughs> I would love experimental to piece because I also think the king in um, Tempest does act quite a lot like Bill Shatner. He is very over the top and egotistical. Yeah. Uh which is quite Captain Kirk. And then you can you can do fun cap not caricatures, but you can do fun like you can make one of the characters Scott you know, you can make the clowns Scotty, Chekhov and 
and Sulu, for example, or, or you, Neelix. Or, or Neelix. Neelix. Well, but let's not cross our, our, <laughs> oh, well, our time okay. periods here. Well, if we're going to do it, then it should be, I think, uh, Voyager rather than original. Well, in that case, yeah, we could do a female <laughs> captain. We could do Janeway. But I think the, the, the bright colours is what I'm going for. It's the, the aesthetic of the 60s one. Because oh, it all looks a bit naff. Yeah, that's a bit cool. Um, and I, that would be my thing. And there's a bit in, actually, in, I think, I can't remember which scene it's in. I think it's one of the scenes of the clowns where they light a fire. And the way to do that is through, I have a, I was sent in the post a, um, a rock that has a little phaser from Star Trek. And if you point the phaser at the rock, it glows like a lamp. Yeah, as I say, we don't throw anything away in this house. So. It's nice to say you don't throw anything away. And it's battery operated. So you could <laughs> use it on stage as a, oh, we need to light a fire. Let's warm up this rock because it's Star Trek times and we have technology. Yeah. The other idea I had was a fellow in a submarine, but I don't actually know. You just like the aesthetic of that. That's I just like really quite, I think strong. That would be a film. It's a think. good film. It would be on stage, film. it would lose a lot. Films can feel more claustrophobic. Uh, but I think my favourite experimental piece that we've done... I liked Barge to the Future. Bar, yeah, Barge to the Future, I think, was really funny and really, really funny. engaging and really original. Not that the other experimental pieces haven't been at it all. Was, I think it was our first comedy experimental piece. Um, and it was the first, I think, the, m most of the other experimental pieces have been... Like, you had Iago, you had Lear, which were we took the text and we kind of mixed them around. And Kieran did add new things for, for Iago and he created a whole new text for... Thatcher, but I think Bard was more taking the character of Shakespeare and putting him around places. Yeah, I thought it was it was really really good. Don't know why. Why would you do? Why would I do Tempest in Tempest in space? Because do you know what? I've never seen it done apart from the movie Forbidden Planet, which is <laughs> at this point. Apart from that time, old. I saw it done. I've not seen it. But done. it's it's different because it's not no, staged, yeah, and yeah. Um, I just I think that would be quite, it would be quite entertaining, and also it would bring out a kind of kitschness and there's a lot of and one thing is, is star trek asks a lot of philosophical questions and the tempest does as well because it's the final it's the final piece that shakespeare wrote um and it deals with a lot of themes from various other sort of plays leading up to and um um yeah leading up to it also a lot of science fiction uses tempest quotes you mm. notice that that's like the the quote that he uses a lot. Is, is I have that. seen Prospero played by Jean-Luc Picard in Central Park. Oh, that must be so cool. I love Patrick Stewart. Yeah, Patrick Stewart is great. He also does, um, there's a bit in Next Generation. This is now just turning into a talk about <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll get back on track. We'll get back on track in a bit. Um, where uh, Patrick Stewart is trying to teach the robot how to kind of feel and they do a bit of the Tempest on the holodeck. I think it'd be cool, Miranda, being a, being a robot and the Brave New World that has such people in it. Yeah. Because she's learning. Because she's learning. And yeah, yeah, you're right. A lot of a lot of science fiction does use the Tempest. And a lot, and it's quite a... Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's quite a, a, a well-trodden story in that kind of regard. Also, what, sh what Star Trek does really well is science fiction also is fantasy. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this is not Star Trek talk. Let's anyway, move on. Should we move on to why did uh, why do I think Shakespeare? Yeah, you 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 do that. Uh, I think Shakespeare's important. You stole my answer when you said that character is the reason. Because yeah, as much as the plots, most of them are a little bit over the top. They're a little bit over dramatic. It's the characters. Everybody can look at any of the characters in. Well, not any. Not like Spear, Spearman number three. But we can look at the characters in his plays. And see either ourselves, or see somebody we know, or see an emotion that we felt. Like, a jealousy is a universal emotion, and nobody feels jealousy more keenly or to a more horrendous end than Othello. Mm. Um, and so you can kind of see see that in Othello, in, in Shakespeare. And it is, it's about seeing reflections of ourselves more than, I would say, almost any other playwright. Well, I think as well, Shakespeare is character driven mm. his stories are character driven that's what makes them relatable and that's what makes them that's what that's why he stands out among his contemporaries because it's not about here is some plots and crazy plots even his farces and farces are plot heavy comedy still have the character element to them and the character element is the strongest 
part of mm. all of his plays. Um, even his, you know, plays that don't work as well, like Timon, which is like seven plays kind of stitched together. A lot together. of different plots. A lot of, a lot of different themes in Timon don't really mesh, but each individual piece is good because you have that character, which is really strong. I would also say the language, um, language second beautiful. to the character, but to, but the language of Shakespeare. There's a reason we study it. There's a reason we're still talking about it five hundred <laughs> four hundred years later. Shakespeare's language is just for the most part, sublime. And if you take out the references to obscure, you know, um, deities that not everybody necessarily is is uh, au fait with, or contemporary references, which he didn't make a huge amount, but he, did, he didn't, you know, he didn't reference the politics at the time, which is what a lot of people who were writing when he was writing did, which means that they kind of lose something on the modern audience. But he, ref yeah, he references things like um, doublet and hose and, and and other bits and pieces that you might not necessarily mm, but get the even with with take those out you can still yeah you can still understand it. and and as long as the actors that you watch understand what they're saying you can understand it you can understand what the actors are saying uh, so yeah what's your favourite play for a long time my favourite play was Much Ado About Nothing because it was the first play I was really ever exposed to and really connected with. Um, and the characters in it are so good. It's really funny. So funny. Um, oh. mm. It's also, it's one of his plays that you don't need to abridge. Yeah. Like, it's, it's a very, there's a lot of Shakespeare, I think, that it benefits from just cutting out a little bit, thinning it out a little bit. I don't think you need to do that so much with Much Ado. So There's one or two scenes I would trim or exert. Well, yeah, on, one or two. Yeah. But, I mean, there's like, for example, Hamlet. There's whole acts I cut out. Whole stuff you could just get rid of. Um, yeah, so I'm going to say Much Ado. You I'm going to stick with Much Ado. Fair enough. Um, I would say my favourite is probably Merchant of Venice. I knew you were going to say Merchant of Venice. I still love it. It is what is on the website. Those are answers that are on the website. Well, that's good. That's so. good. We didn't, <laughs> we didn't contradict our digital selves. <laughs> Heaven forfend. Yeah. Um, just because I think Merchant uh, of Venice even is it's a play of two halves. You've got the sort of sad, bitter story of... of of Shylock, but you also have a bad, sad, bitter story of Portia. This woman, people, what I often have seen in productions is that Portia is often portrayed as being quite young, and actually, there's not a lot in the text to suggest that she is. 18. Actually, there's a bit that says not so old that she can learn, which suggests that she's actually a little bit over the hill. Yeah, and and for Shakespeare times, for Shakespeare times, so, so she's probably like twenty-one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I and those two stories kind of link beautifully together to make. A function comedy. There are comedy elements in there. Some of them don't work. Old Gobbo should just be cut completely. Um, but the trial scene for me at the end of the play uh, is just the culmination of so much good writing that you see every point of view in the room. Mm. Like you, you get why Shylock is angry. You get why he wants his pound of flesh. You understand why Antonio is kind of remorseful and kind of just being like, let me die. I'm, do you know what? I've, I've suffered enough. Just cut Antonio it out. Antonio is the true villain of the picture. Yeah, Antonio is a, is a complete... It's interesting as well, in, uh, in Merchant of Venice, you see two people who are subsequently being stripped of their agency. Because Portia, the, the whole thing about the caskets is she has no agency mm. in the choice. She's, she's has to marry whoever chooses correctly. It's only really by luck. And no one else wants to choose it and just guesses the right one. Um, whereas Shylock is being stripped of his agency at the end. He is allowed to be the person he wants to be. Over what I would say is a very minor contract dispute. And I'm not quite sure how much um, legal standing that that particular judgment has i feel like if he wasn't if he wasn't jewish there's no way that would have i feel like if called. he did a countersuit he probably would win mm. um but yeah it is actually a lot of the plays about a loss of agency and the only people that come out okay in the end are the, the rich men who are able who are christian and and white and are able to 
basically do what they want mm. and they get everything but even even at the end um Portia doesn't get everything she wants because the whole part of the ring is is about how she's now married to this guy she kind of just has to put up with everything that he does um because everything belongs to him now even her so part of me kind of wishes or kind of would if I were to do it again would be to severely cut act five so that it ties up the play view neatly but doesn't is only like a coda to the trial scene because the trial scene is the heart of the piece it's it's the big emotional finale and act five is just kind of ha 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 we won and there's way too much of it and I, I, if I was to do it yeah, again, I would cut a lot more of it. Some of it is practical. Some of it is because there's a costume change in Yeah, there. but you cut that. Yeah, I, I have to do that. the costume change. You cut the costume change bit. But, yeah, I would I would trim it a lot more than I did. Um, because, yeah, that's... I don't... I, it's not as a... Ha it's not a happy ending for mm. anyone apart from, really, Bassanio. And Antonio. And Antonio, who doesn't die. And Gratiano, I suppose, who gets married to a Nerissa. And Nerissa, I suppose, is going up in the world. Yeah. But for the two leads, because Portia has twice the lines of Shylock, and Shylock still has, I think, twice the lines of the next most speaking character. Um, the two leads don't get really happy endings. I mean, you can play Portia as a happy ending, but it isn't it necessarily. It's a little bit better. Because she's kind of compromising. She gave him, she gave him one test. Don't give away that ring. And, and he immediately instantly failed, it. failed it. Instantly failed it. So, yeah, I mean, that's what, what you get from that. Actually, we have one more question. Yes. Do you have a favourite quote? Do I have a favourite quote? Uh, oh, so many. I have too yeah. many favourite quotes. We are such stuff as dreams are made on, and our little lives are rounded with a sleep. Um, the quality of mercy is not strained. Uh... To die, to sleep, to sleep, the chance to dream. I there's the rub, for in that sleep of death, what dreams may come. A lot of dark quotes there. Not many happy ones. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, they are happy. Be not afraid. That whole speech is gorgeous. That is a gorgeous speech. Uh, pretty much anything Beatrice says, I think she says, is just cracking. Yes, uh, Beatrice is, I think one of the mo most quotable comic characters. Oh, I think, um, what's the name of that character I played? Which one? Ca no, not Cassius. Cassius. Cassius, I'm saying Cassio, and I was like, that's not right. No, Cassio is a fellow. <laughs> Cassius Cassio is, is, is also a brand of a radio, so. Is it a watch? Oh, I don't know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. CD players. CD, it's, player. it's a digital it's manufacturer. Yeah. What about you? Do you have a quote? Um, oh, let me think. Um, maybe, uh, see, I want to go with Hath Not a GUI as that speech because it's an incredibly powerful piece that the meaning has kind of changed over the years and it's a really powerful call to arms for kind of equality. Mm. You know, you could change Hath Not a GUIs to, you know, Hath Not a Homosexualized. Hath not it doesn't scan. It, it doesn't scan, obviously. <laughs> but I'm not talking about it scanning. No, right? I know, but it's a, um, it's, it's all about oppression and yeah, it's all about oppression. It's about lack of acceptance, and there has never been a time mm. since Shakespeare wrote where everybody has been accepted for who they are. But yeah, I would think I would go. I think I oh, know. I think That's that was it. my knee jerk reaction. I think I'll stick with Hath not a few eyes. Um, if you prick us, do not do we not bleed? I think that's my favourite bit from the play. I think it's quite clever as well because the, the, the number one way to to create oppression over people is to get people to oppress other people is to strip away their humanity mm. and that whole speech is about you know. Bringing back the huma his humanity. Yeah. Because Shylock is at his heart just a man. And actually as well that, that kind of mirrors when um, oh, who was the person who campaigned against the slave trade? Name I can never remember but I remember his slogan was Am I Not a Man and a Brother? Oh, that I don't was, remember the guy's name. But I, I do know who you mean. I remember his name, but that was the, the, the slogan that he used. So it's all about trying to get people to remember that that person that you're kicking is an actual person. 
And it's an incredibly important message. And that's why I think Merchant of Venice is such a beautiful play. It's why it's my favourite. It's because it is all about oppression and how we can overcome it. Mm. And the fact that he wrote it 400 years ago at a time where... Wilberforce? Yeah, William... William Is it William Wilberforce? Was it William Wilberforce? Could be. Could be. Uh, the fact that Shakespeare wrote it at a time where Jews were being persecuted, where they had... In, is it in... Was it, was it Henry VIII who kicked them all out? Uh, this is shocking. I, my history is shocking. Well, no, well the paper, there was a papal ball in 1190 that you'd get a big tax break from the Vatican if you expelled your Jewish population. I don't know if that happened again. I think it might Probably. have happened again, because I seem to remember when we did Merchant of Venice, I had read a thing that Shakespeare most likely had never met a Jewish person. I mean, yeah... I, I, but yeah, anyway, it's it's it, it, uh, the fact that he wrote it 100 years ago and that speech is still so salient today, I think, is why it would be my favourite. So let's move on from racism. <laughs> let's move on from racism. Uh, which is always good. You should always move on from racism. Uh, you confront it and then move on. Uh, what was your first experience with Shakespeare? My first experience with Shakespeare? You never forget your first, I've heard. I'm struggling to remember my first experience. Um, With Shakespeare, I hasten to add. Uh, well, you go first. Let me think. I actually remember mine quite clearly. Mm-hmm. It was English year eight or year seven or eight. And no, it must have been year eight because I had Mrs. Forrester. That was the name of the teacher. A uh, small, severe woman. She was a great teacher, actually. I really liked her. And um, we were going to study Much Do About Nothing for... Sat. The sats that year, but before we read it or looked at it in any detail, she made us watch the Kenneth Branagh movie in a double period. That's I think that's exactly the same as mine. Yeah, yeah. Even with Mrs. Forrester. Even Mrs. Forrester. Even I, Mrs. I, was, Forrester. I, I remember I was at your school for a year. Even though I, it was an all boys school. school, it was very strict. No, it wasn't. But no, it was pretty much mirrors that. Um, I think I had experience with Shakespeare before then, but the one I can really remember is yeah. what you do. And I, I remember what I remember distinctly is watching the film. And if you've seen it, you'll know how good it is. It's like the perfect much ado. And if you haven't seen it, go and watch it. It's the perfect much ado. But it opens with that bit. Uh, there's a camera, and it goes through the estate of Leonardo. And I remember quite clearly it goes through a women's changing room, um, and having you know I being a bunch it. of year eight boys at an all boys school the everybody around me lost it because oh look naked women oh you know you don't get to see anything but i remember and then but and most of the class never really got over that initial but i remember being really drawn to the language really being drawn to kenneth branner and emma thompson's thompson's performances and that's what really hooked me um and then we then we did Macbeth in year nine i think and we watched um, the film with Francesca Ennis, where Francesca Ennis plays Lady Macbeth, which is only okay. So we we did the very same thing as we watched um, Lee and I'm Sats. Uh, I remember just finding Kenneth Branagh really funny. Like he's really funny. Really it? funny. The bit where he's pretending to be a bird and it just makes me giggle all the time when I think about it. I think I um, laugh about it. But yeah. the comedy comes out really well in Much Ado in that film. Um, even though some of the performances are not great, Keanu Reeves, I love you so much, but you were not made for that part. Big up to Denzel uh, Washington, though. He's superb as Oh, yeah, Denzel. yeah, yeah. He's brilliant. Um, yeah, so that was really the first. And, and, it, and actually, do you know what? I hated the sats, but I really enjoyed doing Much Ado. Yeah. I think it was the one thing they did right in the year nine sats was having that. And then we watched, we did Romeo and Juliet in year 10 for GCSE. And we watched the um, Baz Luhrmann, which I think is one of the best adaptations of a Shakespeare ever. I think he gets the over-the-topness, the whole dramatic, like these are these are children who are, who are doing this. And they're making bad decisions. But really, it's not that bad decision because all they want to do is date. So it's not... And I think that's what people... Like, oh, you, you guys killed yourself for young love and that's a bit stupid. It's like, no, the stupid thing is the structure around mm. them that says these two people can't go on a date because you guys are all having like a pissing contest over nothing. Um, so actually, you know, you can, you can sort of say, oh, they're young people, they're, they're teenagers, they're making stupid decisions. 
this shouldn't be a stupid decision. This should be a very normal decision. Mm. And they probably, yeah, they probably be together and it wouldn't last. They'd grow out of each other. But they wouldn't be dead. But they should be able to have the room to do that without fearing, like, I have to keep my marriage a secret because otherwise my family will hate me and everyone's going to die. Like, like it's not them. It's the situation that's bad. And they're just two pure hearts. Mm. So. Yeah, I think, that's a, I think that's a really good point. Um, John's put in the quote by Wilberforce. Do you want to read it out? If to be fiendly alive to the suffrage of my fellow creatures is to be a fanatic, I'm one of the most incurable fanatics ever permitted to be at large. Yeah, it's very true. It's very true. true. It's weird how that's really poignant today. Yeah, still, still, still so still, poignant. Anyway, uh, another question. So uh, the last question, um, last question from us. If anybody has more questions, <laughs> please pop them in the comments. Uh, it's a surprise question. I didn't tell Charlotte I was going to ask this. Uh, just like I haven't told any of the directors I'm going to ask this, which is oh, why so I recorded this first. You get time to... Recorded them first before we did this. Is, if you could play any part in any of Shakespeare's plays, what part would it be? So, not being myself. I could, you I don't, could you be, don't have to be yourself. You could, could be, be, you could be in Kenneth Branagh's body if you want. And I can just turn to anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Richard III or Macbeth. I'll tell you why. There are not that many female parts where you get to be a megalomaniac. Like, I cannot think of outside of maybe Cruella de Vil. <laughs> I can't think of that. Which is every maybe. actor's dream. Of course. Emma, Emma Stone to, is stealing that from everyone. Everyone wants to be Cruella de Vil. No, I don't want to be Cruella de Vil. But they... I did. Yeah, well, uh, you have the hair for it. Uh, Richard III more so, because with Macbeth you've got that sort of tinge of he's a little bit weaker. Whereas Richard III is just like, I'm going to be the best person ever, I'm going to kill everyone, going to be a megalomaniac, no one's going to stand in my way. Or Iago, because Iago has that as well, but it, it's it's tempered with that... that With the jealousy. With, with the jealousy, which is still really interesting, it's an amazing part, but I think if I if I could be anyone, um, it would be Richard III. So I'd get to just be evil man. See, what's really funny is, do you know what my answer is? Richard the Third. Oh, uh, well, next, next For time. different reasons, though. Uh-huh. Mine is, one of the things I really love about Shakespeare, uh, especially about his kind of tragic heroes, uh, is the relationship they have with the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, Iago especially has that kind of, uh, he talks to the audience almost constantly and explicitly throughout the play. Um, but the histories don't really have that. The histories are more shown as, this is something that happened. And it's all a self-contained drama. And people have soliloquies, but they're not necessarily to the to, to the audience. Mm. Um, and you get like the chorus in Henry V, which is the kind of the closest you come to somebody talking to the audience. Until you get to Richard III, who does talk to the audience constantly and is very much like Iago in that respect. And that's what I like. That's what I would like to do, is have that, be able to do the historical, deep, horrific drama of Richard with that relationship with the audience. Because I, that's why... If I was to pick my perfect film adaptation of a Shakespeare, it would be the McKellen Richard III. It's very good. Where he, is, he has all these wonderful long shots of him talking into the camera or talking into a mirror but addressing the audience. And it, and it, it works so well. Mm. Um, and yeah, that would be my... So we're both apparently Richard III. So I wish that when we do Richard III, we're going to have a competition. We are going to have to have a fight or we'll have to do two productions of Richard III. Very different. And we'll direct each other. Yeah. And we'll both try and sabotage each other. Yeah, yeah. You know. Or we could do one day. We, we alternate nights. Oh, yes. Let's do that. Yeah. And um, the other one can play Lady Anne. What is the most underrated Shakespeare character in your opinion? Ooh. From Niara, that is. Hello, Niara. Hello, Niara. Um, I actually have an answer for this. Go on, then. Uh, Dogberry. Oh, from Much Do so About Nothing. Funny. Because everybody remembers in Much Do About Nothing. They remember Benedict and Beatrice. And they remember Claudio and Hero. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like the the take home points of much ado. But the funniest part in the play for me is whenever Dogberry turns up. Dogberry is hysterically funny. Um, and fun fact for anybody who didn't know this, although I'm sure some of you probably do, before um, malapropisms were called malapropisms after Mrs. Malaprop from the play that Mrs. Malaprop is in, they used to be called Dogberryisms after Dogberry because he mixes his words up mm-hmm. um, and that's and I, I think that's a really nice little addition and I wish that that had kind of stuck around because I think that sounds cooler than Malapropism um, 
I actually prefer male with poppism. Yeah, I thought you would. Also, although dogberryism sounds a bit um, sounds, sounds like something else. Um, but he's also what? he's just hysterically funny. You going to say something like dogging? No, no, I wasn't. <laughs> no, I was not going to say dogging. I was going to say dingleberries. But Don't what? Google that. Um, I'm sure people can't work out what that is. Yeah, but that that for me it's dogberry because mm. he's just, he's he's hysterical. Like he's only in the second half. Uh, he yeah he only turns up after the interval really, and he just has I think he has about three or four scenes, and yet he steals the show. In every production I've directed much ado, four times. Four times. Have you? Yeah, I did it for the one hour production. Did it for T24 yeah, you're, you're twice. You're counting the T24. Yeah, I'm still counting the 24 hour production. And I did it uh, for the radio play. Oh, yeah. I suppose, yeah. And all four times, the Dogberry... Just under Benedict and Beatrice, the Dogberry is who I really remember being hysterically funny. Mm-hmm. But doesn't get the credit because he's only in half the play. So I'm going to go for a bit of a controversial one here. Oh. Uh, I'm going to say Juliet from Romeo and Juliet. Now, hear me out here. I think people play Juliet the same way all the time. It's like she's just a very naive young girl who's making a stupid decision. And actually, she's one of the, the Shakespeare characters who asserts her agency quite a lot. She really... She does do that she purposely goes out of her way to uh, i'm just gonna do these things and i don't think that she is like a lot of people do is she's at the mercy of a lot of because she's at the mercy of a lot of things but she's not helpless mm. she makes choices uh, she's even you know in places a little bit manipulative with with the nurse um yeah, to get what she wants because she's she, I think she's aware that the situation she's in is just ridiculous and stupid. And yeah, I don't. I think I think Romeo's a little bit more of like the hopeless romantic, but he's sweet. He's not as as devious as Juliet is. Um, whilst she's still like a you know a fundamentally good character, mm. um, but she knows a little bit more how to play the game. And I think she kind of in her head has this idea that it's not going to end up okay. Whereas I think Romeo's quite optimistic, but everything's going to be fine. I actually don't think that Juliet is. I think she knows in the back of her head that stuff probably is going to go wrong. And that sort of, I don't think that's played with a lot. So You've never played Juliet, have you? I, well, I'm too old now. And, uh, yeah, uh, just going to be interesting to see. I think I'd make it a little bit too hard. I don't think... They'd be like, why is Romeo fancy her? She's awful. <laughs> yeah. Leave her, Romeo. <laughs> you get, Don't kill yourself. Go to Rosalind. Yeah, go back to Rosalind. Or any of the other many women you mentioned throughout the play. Yeah. Horny devil. Yeah, he would have moved on. And she probably would have outgrown him as well. I think they would have mutually just broken up if they let their relationship run its course. So. so really, that's another reason why parents shouldn't interfere. Yeah. Don't set up a gang war. I think we can all take that as parents, you know. I don't tell people how to parent their children, but setting up intercity gang wars, not a good idea. I'm going to go out and say that that's my number one thing I won't do as a parent, is set up. Strongly coming out on the side of law and order. Very, very anti-gang, you know, controversial, I know. but, But yeah, so that's my... That's your well. That's that's a great answer, actually. That's a really good. I think that's a great way to kind of finish off to finish, to finish. The, the, the discussion. Um, if you do have any last questions, now is the time to put them in. But otherwise, I will kind of we'll, we'll sum up. Let's sum up. We'll you sum up. do the sum up. You you, you get a bit. Well, thank you for uh, watching, listening, or or having this transmitted directly into your brain, depending on how you. <laughs> We don't know what technology is going to do in the next month. So no, it could. Who knows? You know, Steve Steve Jobs isn't going to announce anything. He's dead. Uh, the That's other guy, Mark Zuckerberg, might you know announce something. Uh, you never know. Um, but yes, in the few in the upcoming weeks, we have interviews like this with, well, not like this because they're not going to be live, but with all of the directors of what should have been last year's season. We will have uh, interviews with various members of the CSF past, present. Not really future, because we don't know who's going to be in there. Again, we're not sure how our time-travelling technology is coming along. If it comes along nicely, 
you will have known how we will be doing. Yeah, talk to us in 50 years' time, bring them back. Yeah. How did it go? Yeah. Oh, so Elliot died in a horrendous set accident. Oh, <laughs> cool. Uh, was that Othello in... Oh, oh, the Tempest set blew up in his face when he tried to do Star Trek Tempest. That makes a lot of sense. Oh, the gods want to punish us. The gods... Give us what, they, what we want. Oh, yes, exactly. Um, uh, we have interviews with set designers, costumers, writers... Well, one of each, so far. So um, far. And if you're watching this and you think I would also like to take part in our Exit by Bard uh, online content, then please do get in touch with us at our uh, email. Or in- Facebook, or send a carrier pigeon, or if you... If you, you just plenty Walk of around Canterbury, just shouting our names, I'm sure we'll find you. Yeah. Um, we're not just looking for interviews, so uh, we are, we're going to have a talk on Queer Shakespeare at some point. We've got... Um, a tour, the Touring Shakespeare Company are going to give us a little insight into how they work. Uh, there's another, there's a, there's going to be a Shakespeare yoga seminar that is going to be quite intriguing. I'm intrigued to see how that's going to work, mm-hmm. mainly because I, I understand Shakespeare, I understand yoga. I'm not quite sure. You do not it. understand yoga. I understand yoga from afar. You don't, you don't understand yoga. Let's it's not just pretend. sitting in silly positions, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, if I've you... seen Iron Fist. I know what yoga is. <laughs> that was that was. Yeah, they're not the same. <laughs> I've never seen a yoga mum punch through a steel door, but I've also never seen Iron Fist do yoga. You've never worked in customer service then, clearly. Mm, well, yeah, good point. <laughs> um, uh, we also have a panel. Yes, we also have a panel. Uh, John Moss, is uh, who is one of the directors, is comp- has compiled a panel discussion on Shakespeare and the Plague and various other bits and bobs. Because there's one thing that we know is, we, is popular. we want to talk about right now. Is plagues. Well, to be fair, they said people avoid it like the plague, and we found out in the last year that people do not avoid the plague. <laughs> no. So we're hoping that that will be quite a popular, <laughs> a popular episode. Oh dear. Um, but apart from that, that is kind of all from us. Yeah. I think. So please stay tuned for updates on our Exit by Bard and also our summer. We'll keep you updated. Uh, we have some big plans coming up. So yes. Yes. Well, uh, hope to see you soon or hear from you soon. Yeah. Thank you and good night. Exit Pursued by a Bard is a Canterbury Shakespeare Festival podcast. You can find out more about the festival at www.canterburyshakespeare.co.uk. Stay up to date with what we're doing by liking us on Facebook or following us on Instagram at Canterbury Shakespeare. If you like what you see and want to support us in bringing great outdoor theatre to Kent, you can donate to the festival through our GoFundMe page. More information can be found on our website. Thou tottering, tickle-brained vassal!